Welcome to this episode of Phantom History. Before we dive into this new episode, I wanted to invite you to check out the newest endeavor inspired by this podcast, Phantom History House, a bed and breakfast experience unlike any other. Are you looking for a creepy yet comfortable getaway? Then consider one of four paranormally themed rooms in my home for your next stay in Tampa. Visit phantomhistoryhouse.com for more. I hope to see you soon. It was a white mass, translucent, with no feet and jet black hair. Members of Brooke Boyer's paranormal team, Indiana Lost Souls, knew the moment she had seen something inside the Randolph Asylum. You just saw something, didn't you? Her colleagues asked her. But Brooke was frozen for a few moments, and later said she couldn't move for that split second that something, whatever it was, or whoever it used to be, made itself known as it moved across the hallway and into the women's restroom. The investigative team walked into the bathroom, hoping to find whatever it was that Brooke had spotted so suddenly, but the room was empty. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. The Randolph County Poor Asylum in Winchester, Indiana, was built in 1899 on a tract of land purchased by the county in 1851 to house a poor farm and to care for those unable to work. The mentally and physically disabled worked the farm for years in subpar accommodations until the current 50,000 square foot brick building that now looms on the property opened its doors at the end of the 19th century. Like so many asylums, this one had reports of abuse, neglect, and overcrowding, all things that make for a very active paranormal location. But there are two specific stories about the asylum that interests Brooke Boyer with Indiana Lost Souls the most. John, he was was an older man, and it was on the men's ward. Well, they have a jail cell up on the men's ward and they would put the criminal they would put the criminally insane in there and i guess some thugs got out and they got snitched on or something by john and pushed him out of a window ida there was a suicide that happened there as well um you know and it's really sad she you know she was wife a mother you know and then gets it's menopause and you know like any woman going through menopause goes crazy she just you know lost her mind and they put her put her in a room down in the basement and she wanted a broom um so the story goes she wanted a broom to clean her room which i don't know why you would give anything like that to somebody who is mentally unstable and she put it above the bar bars and put her sheet around it and hung herself in her room so there's been suicides there's been you know homicides clearly somebody pushed out of a window prior to the brick building on the site now the randolph county poorhouse was a wooden building constructed in 1853 and it housed 16 inmates but that building didn't stand longer than a year before it was destroyed by a fire in january of 1854 After that, a larger two-story brick building was built on the site in 1856, but that was also destroyed, or more accurately, demolished, because of its poor conditions inside. 
The current building, when it was fully functional, housed six large wards, several private rooms, laundry areas, a kitchen, male and female dining rooms, and the property included a pump house, barns, sheds, garages, and a chicken house. There was also a cemetery on the property, and investigator Judy Van Adder says it has a complicated history. Where the barn is, there's that wasn't, a, I guess, the cemetery, and then they moved the bodies or they couldn't find the bodies or whatever. They weren't marked or whatever because it was a poor folk. But there is a cemetery on property, on town, somewhere on that property. Judy believes that we all leave an imprint, and those with more spiritual energy, whether living or passed on, continue to make their presence known in areas they spent most of their time. That could be why Randolph is so active and why its cast of entities seems so diverse. I think it's a big mixture of a little bit of everything because, I mean, I, I know myself, I've left an imprint on a building that I worked at for years because people have told me they saw me and I wasn't there. So I think I think anybody can leave an imprint if you, you know, you have enough, I guess, energy and that you just leave your imprint behind. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how that works, but I would say it's a little bit of everything that's yeah. in that building. I mean, it's a mixture plus everybody that comes in brings something with them or brings something to it or adds to it, you know, and who knows what, how many ghosts are really communicating with you. I mean, she could have 10 communicating, <laughs> I could have none. Somebody else could have one or two and they could, all could be different entities, we don't know. I mean, depends on sometimes a trait, I guess, of what, how they react to you. While the women of Indiana Lost Souls admit it's difficult to pinpoint exactly how many spirits may still roam the closed asylum, they are confident in the identities of three souls that might still wander its halls. Ida, the woman who allegedly killed herself in a cell, seems to make herself known quite often. And John, an inmate who met a tragic end, is also believed to still walk through the asylum. But it's not only former inmates who still linger. The spirit of a former judge is believed to still walk through the attic of the old building. Brooke explains. They built up, they built off of the original foundation. So, you know, that kind of, you know, when you mess with construction and stuff like that, I feel like that turn that makes a lot of activity happen more frequently. There was an, an occurrence, what was it? It was, um, John, he, was a, he was an older man and it was on the men's ward. Well, they have a jail cell up on the men's ward, and they would put the criminal. They would put the criminally insane in there. And I guess some thugs got out, and they got snitched on or something by John, and pushed him out of a window. The judge did some trials up in the attic. Yeah, they did some trials back then. Um, up in the attic. So that was pretty cool to hear too, you know, and supposedly people have seen him up there. There is quite a bit of walking. You can hear footsteps up in the attic. Um, and it's a very heavy feeling, almost like you're being judged. So maybe that's him, kind of. <laughs> Team member Marsha Flowers believes that she encountered Ida, the alleged suicide victim. And while she didn't see an apparition, she said that she could sense her and even smell her during an investigation that prompted her to sit quietly and blindfolded in a portion of the asylum. 
the last time we were there, actually, we sort of did a dinner theater type thing where murder every mystery, murder mystery type thing to sort of get activity moving. I happened to be the one that was sitting, waiting <laughs> to be found. But while I was sitting there by myself, I kept getting this smell of like a real florally perfume that kept wafting by me. And it just was like, it would wave by and then it was gone and then it would come back. And I, I really, I was blindfolded at the time to sort of, to keep everything, you know, as just sound and smells, senses active. And so I was very aware of, you know, smells and things like that and sounds going on around me. And it really felt like I could smell it over here sometimes. And then it was like, it was right in front of me. And then it was over here. It was like, there was somebody walking around me just moving. And that was downstairs in the living room area uh, or the parlor. Brooke, on the other hand, says she may have caught a glimpse of Ida. And it's an experience that surprised and shocked her because she wasn't actively looking for a spirit when it made itself known. Well, we were, it was the women's ward and we were walking and usually I'm taking pictures the whole time. Um, and we always try to do multiple pictures um, back to back of the same shot, just because if we did capture something in one picture that we didn't in the ones before or after that, you know, that's, we can, yeah, we can compare and we can debunk it that's something else, you know, but, um, most of the time we do capture quite a bit of orbs, energy streaks. Well, this one occurrence, I was walking around the corner and I was turning the corner and the women's restroom is off to the right. And it happens. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was, I mean, it, it like it's just the thrill, the excitement of it. But I mean, I was... I felt like every like everything left my body, like all my energy, because I seen it looked this white mass. Um, you could see right through it, and it looked like it had dark hair, but there was no feet, and it was just like a split second, and it just went into the bathroom, and I my mouth dropped. Um, all the color, all the pigment left my skin, <laughs> and Judy was like, "What'd you see?" <laughs> Um, I couldn't take a picture. I mean, I was completely frozen. You know, I couldn't move. Of course, we went into the bathroom afterwards and um, some of our equipment did go off and everything. But the following trip we made, we were talking to the historian that usually comes and opens up the building for us, you know, walks us around. First time we went, he gave us a lot of, you know, history on the place, like with the morgue and then talking about, you know, the um, trials up in the attic and everything and um, me and Judy we'd already you know walked around with him and he was like oh so I don't have to tell you guys a story so we're sitting there talking to him and we hear doors shutting upstairs mind you it's just us three in the building and then he tells something funny and we laugh and I wish we would have had the recorder going because me and Ju Judy we heard a man go ha 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 i mean right beside us right in the middle of us and we looked at each other and he was like he goes was that one of you guys and i was like nope so and he's never really had experiences and he's kind of a skeptic so 
he kind of was like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know? And, um, but during that time, he was telling us that, um, and we usually don't like to hear too many experiences because we wouldn't experience everything on our own. Um, and then we can, you know, talk about them afterwards. And if anybody else has had experiences like that in the same areas of the building, we can credit that as, okay, this is clearly paranormal happenings, you know, that are happening with more than just one person. He was talking about how people were seeing a white mystic like figure up in the women's ward running into the bathroom and I looked at Judy and I was like well I mean you know I'm not full of it now like I mean, like so but he didn't know that I, I I never told anybody it was just our group that was there nobody talked to him or anything so that was kind of cool to hear that other people had, had experienced the same thing I experienced but it was definitely disturbingly exciting and thrilling and yeah it's definitely one of my top favorite haunts for sure for judy who organizes the group and has done paranormal investigations the longest her encounters aren't always quite as positive she said she doesn't get scared but she has encountered some dark energy at randolph asylum she said she's not exactly sure what she saw but she's pretty certain it is malevolent. Uh, the one time we were there, um, my granddaughter was with us, and she got really yeah. freaked out. You know, she saw this thing that wasn't human. Um, it was like a black, shadowy thing with it looked like it had tentacles, and it really scared her. And she'd never really been anywhere before. And uh, another one of our investigators had also seen it. Uh, a few weeks before that and they hadn't talked to each other and I hadn't mentioned it to her so we, I know that they both saw this thing. She was really shook up over it and so I got really angry and went after it. I mean you don't do that okay but when it's your kid you do. <laughs> so I'm calling it out and telling it to show its cowardly face. I did see a shadow in there whether it was the same thing or not I don't know because I just saw the top of the the head and the shadow, I did not see any tentacles or anything, but it came from the same area that both of them had seen it in at one time. You know, I really don't know where that could have came from, but I'm sure that over the years, people have done things in there they shouldn't have been doing. I'm sure that some people have practiced the occult or probably called things that uh, were not human there at one point. I don't know for sure, um, but it's an old building and a lot of people are in there, a lot of people that are claim to be paranormal investigators are really into different things. You know, they're not just really into the paranormal itself, but they sometimes dwell a little bit. There's a fine line between good and evil. And sometimes you're in that line and you don't know you're there until you're there. According to Marcia, the team will use different techniques to encourage whatever energy or entities that are present to show themselves. Sometimes it's through a game, like when she played a victim in a murder mystery, or it will be through some good-natured taunting. But underneath it all, the women of Indiana Lost Souls focus on the history of a location like Randolph and hope to encounter the spirits of those who walked its halls so long ago. Try and get them to interact with this with, you know, lights or whatever we can, or, you know, say something that we can maybe hear later on and we'll get recordings. But up in the attic, I also have had that very heavy feeling that Brooke referred to. And I've actually got some pictures of some really good 
movement that you can almost see moving because I took multiple pictures. You can almost see it moving around a corner and around this big pillar of brick and it starts on one side and then it's coming around the other side. So it's pretty cool that I kind of caught that on pictures. Um, so I don't know what it was or who it was, whether it was the judge or someone else. So. The evidence of paranormal activity at Randolph Asylum is overwhelming, according to the women of Indiana Lost Souls. But even more important than that is the personal encounters and experiences investigators have in historic and allegedly haunted locations. It's those personal encounters that mean the most to Brooke. Even if we don't have it recorded or we didn't, like just the personal experiences that we've all had, they stick. You know, I mean, that's something that's, you know, in our memory forever, you know, and maybe they just wanted it to just happen for us. You know, that's why we didn't capture it for everybody else. This episode of Phantom History was written, edited, and produced by me, Steve Blanchard. Please consider following the podcast on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, and visit the brand new Phantom History House in Tampa, Florida, a themed bed and breakfast that celebrates all things paranormal. Learn more about the podcast and the B&B at phantomhistory.com. Thank you to Brooke Boyer, Marsha Flowers, and Judy Van Adder of Indiana Lost Souls for sharing their personal experiences at Randolph Asylum. To connect with them directly, find them on Facebook. Music for this episode was provided by Purple Planet Music, Silverman Sound, Chad Crouch, and Shane Ivers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a high rating on whatever podcast platform you use. And as always, thanks for listening.